Hello, hello. Welcome to the Strategy of Finance podcast, where we celebrate the profession and the professionals in the world of finance. These unsung heroes mostly remain away from limelight, but contribute tremendously towards company building. We endeavor to unpack their journeys to understand what moves them, get inspired by their triumphs, learn from their experiences, and most of all, connect with them at a personal level. I'm your host, Rohit Agarwal, and besides this podcast, my full-time duties include building Creo, the unified operating system for corporate spend. We are bringing together the whole journey of spend so you can buy, pay, and manage all your corporate spends from one single platform. Do check us out at www.krayo.io. Without further ado, let's tune in to learn, grow, and inspire. Arjun, welcome to the show. Really glad to have you here. Pleasure. Really looking forward to this, Rohit. Great. Well, why don't we start with a little bit on your background. So tell us, how did you make your way into this amazing world of finance? As you know, our generation, 2020, two years of WorkEx, we typically have a genius childhood. So I grew up in a small town. My father was in a transferable job, PSU background. So I spent a large part of my life in Chandigarh, Punjab, towns of Punjab and Haryana. Humble beginnings and then uh, went on to uh, graduate from SRCC, Delhi University. And back in the days... Uh, when you're an undergrad, whether engineering or mostly commerce students, the choice you're met with is write the cat or do your CA. I mean, the more obvious choices. So I went on to get into CA because the big four back in the days, they were the big six with Coopers and Vibrant and, and one more. And, and they used to come on campus, <laughs> attended the PPT, through, did my articles with KPMG. Great breeding ground, great learnings, great exposure. But the idea of it was that just when I cleared my finals, I said, hey, I can't be doing auditing, consulting or work for a big four for the rest of my life. Very personal choice. I think the exposure and the learnings were great. So that's when I decided to get an MBA and went to ISB Hyderabad. And post my MBA, worked in the corporate sector, started uh, with a very brief stint at HT Media, followed with 10, 10 and a half solid days with Amex, uh, of which about two to three years were in New York as a part of an internal consulting team with American Express, then came back and spent seven years in the shared services center and the India business. In my last role with Amex, I was the CFO for the consumer card and merchant services business uh, back in the days between 2013 to 16. Then uh, moved on to Apple from there a shift in not so much in roles but industry so spent five years with apple started with the commercial controller for the iphone business moved on to do the b2b business which is the non-iphone which is predominantly macbooks and ipads and services very very different experience moving from a services to a product company apple was at the cusp of the trillion dollar valuation so i'd go all the way to two two and a half trillion then around covid mid-covid i decided to move on and do something different. So I moved into a head of strategy role with Max Life Insurance. That stint was relatively short, about a little less than two years. And then right after Max Life, uh, the offer from Revolute came along. Actually, while I was at Max Life and Revolute being a startup and, and the one thing that was missing in my profile was to see the zero to one journey. So a lot of my experience was predominantly with large merchant multinationals or large conglomerates steady, stable companies looking to expand, looking to grow, looking to optimize. But this was very, very different. Revolute setting shop in India, trying to procure licenses, trying to launch some interesting fintech products. So here I am for the last one year with Revolute as their first CFO in India. Very short and sweet. Outside of work, very important. 
Yeah, I, I've spent a large part of my professional life in Delhi NCR. I'm in Gurgaon. I have a 13-year-old son, married. My wife runs bespoke furniture business. So that's that's what it's like. Very interesting journey so far. Tell us, you've worked at Amex, you've worked at Apple, you've worked at Max, again, all sort of uh, uh, multinationals, right? And now Revolut. Are the one or two similarities between, uh, let's say, Amex, Apple, and Max that you have found? We'll talk about Revolut a lot more later. And then maybe what are one or two differences that you have found, whether it's in culture or how they approach business at a meta level? So the greatest similarity across all three businesses is a maniacal focus on margins, cash flows, and profitability. High EPS businesses, uh, high margin businesses. And even though the products and services offered are relatively different, I mean, both Max and Amex would still be financial services, credit cards, and insurance. But within that, because Max is a listed company in India, you know, and listed companies kind of need to focus on margins relatively more than others. So this whole financial discipline and that complemented with a very high culture of compliances and in a good way, just having good corporate fabric and doing the right thing, I think, which which comes from the top, from the leadership. And that's the other theme across these companies on the the quality of leadership and and, you know, doing the right thing. That is the largest similarity I saw across all three. Of course, the how of it would vary across three. So, so that is top of my mind, greatest similarity. Of course, needless to say, I mean, Amex is a company been around for 160 plus years. Max has been in India for more than two decades. Apple, again, is a three, three and a half old, decade old company. So, so, so with that, you know, needless to say, high on processes, SOPs, you know, and, and functioning enterprise, some of the things you take for granted when you're working for relatively younger companies and startups. So so that's also a similarity. On the differences, I think you were you were right in saying it's mostly cultural. It's people that make a company and the way they operate, uh, styles of functioning right from what you wear to work to what the coffee chatter is about or what people like to do outside of work as they engage with each other. I think that was different. Obviously, there are other industry nuances. I mean, Insurance in India being a relatively, I'm not using the word commoditized, but homogeneous product because it's easy to replicate. The the game and the fight becomes distribution. But both Amex and Apple had kind of carved niche of their own and had a very, very specific loyal clientele. So so there it was about moving up the value chain and how to preserve that that uniqueness or that that excitement for the customers is is what the focus was on. Because technically, while there was competition, but the competition was not on the main turf. The competition was in segments, territories, or businesses you would ideally like to get into for growth concentrations. So that one was one of the obvious differences. But the largest, as I said, was people, right? I mean, and that adjustment takes about two, three months as you get there and say, oh, okay, this is how it works here. And this is what they, they say here. And of course, the acronyms that come with it and all. Double clicking on the cultural aspect a little more. Again, all of these are global companies. How are they permeating the global culture to the India units? And how, I'm sure the India units would have some of their own culture as well, right? As we found not only in a, at a country level, even, you know, some a company operating at in a single country may have different cultures within different functions. So I'm sure 
you know, each of these companies would have a different India culture as well. How some of that rubs back onto the global enterprise? The second part of your question first, because it's easier to answer. The rub off of Indian culture and global, that that impact is limited because the companies I've worked at while they were large enough in India, reasonable scale, but but they were still a fraction of what the size of the global companies are. The part where the impact happens is all of these companies have large offshore centers. I've always worked in the revenue center of the business. So those offshore centers will help drive a lot of optimization, expansion, and you know, kind of India becoming the talent pool. And, and there are those nuances, but I think all of those adjustments more are done at the market level as opposed to the global level. But it's you're right. It's a, it's a bit of a hybrid. It's a 60-40 or a 50-50. And if I had to structure this in terms of articulation, I think when it comes to business and operations, so the what and the why, and again, the overall strategy and philosophy, that's kind of trickling down from the global because I think in terms of risk appetite, it's it's limited for larger companies. They want to always go down from the top of the pyramid, kind of establish their presence in the premium market, see some cash flows coming in because of the profitability considerations, and then say how we can win in the pre-affluent and the mass segment. And, and not everybody gets it right. So on business operations, it's limited, the whole shareholder and customer aspect. The large difference is employee, how people function, and 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 there's this famous lines which says, oh, India is different, right? I mean, I think we say that at least 20 times a week, and we've been saying it for the last two decades, explaining it to investors and, and, and global leadership and the media that India is different, and India is different. So to that extent, I think the rope or the slack that the global companies need to cut India, actually, and this is my personal view, determines the success or the presence in terms of scale that the company is able to get in India. So, so yeah, culturally, even at a product customization level, etc., tier distribution, because India being a fragmented market and, you know, uh, consumer segment densities are not the same as large markets, other large markets. Th those adjustments need to be made and, and they reflect in our way of functioning. They reflect in the processes and policies they deploy in the India market. So, yeah, that's where the differences come. And this is not just the companies I worked at. This is across the board. I think if you look at case studies of companies that really made it big for India and became globally relevant, whether uh, it was Nestle or, or or it was HUL or it was, uh, and to a certain degree, even, even now, Apple is one of them, right? Apple's been doubling market size every three years, doubling their revenues every three years. I, I don't know. I might be off because I left Apple about three years ago, but, but you can see the penetration of the ecosystem across the board. So, so yeah, that's, that's what I think. When you think about these global companies coming to India, especially now where India is very vibrant and you know you are going through one of that zero to one journey from an India perspective right now for Revolut, are there any specific traits that you have identified for the companies who have made it sort of big in India, which says, hey, these are maybe two or three traits that are common across all of these that has helped them to be really kind of win the market? Patience, deep pockets, and speed to market in that order. So Wow. All right. Patience, because I call it the tuition fee. You've got to spend money, do some small little experiments and pilots, get some quick learnings. Because there's, there's nothing called as the Indian consumer. The Indian consumer is at a point in time relative to the market offering 
and relative to the psychological economic climate in the country. And what I just called out changes every six months. <laughs> so, so at a point in time, it's very difficult to define. But that's why I said patience and deep pockets, because because the expectation setting that needs to be done with whoever is willing to cut the check or invest the money, probably it's one of them, which we do, is that it takes time. It's And the analogy is the microwave versus the barbecue, right? Like if you're hungry, you'll always prefer the microwave. You know, you'd heat your rolls or, or pizza or whatever else, meat, if you're a non-vegetarian, in the microwave and kind of you're done. But, but if you want your meat to taste good and you want it juicy, then it needs to kind of simmer and slow burn on the barbecue. But that's what it is, right? So in India, you've got to kind of let it simmer, get your learnings, have the right condiments, test in the right segments, customize a little. You can't just pick the global product and kind of bring it in, especially in case of services. Product is a product, right? So if it's a tech company, it's different. And then kind of take it from there. And and, and if you're able to get an understanding of that, then the zero to one, zero to two is very challenging and painful. But then the two to five and two to 10 is kind of where the fun starts. And a lot of companies who are exp experiencing that now are the ones who probably took a longer term view and, and kind of stuck it in. Very cool. Let's move the focus back to kind of one of the switches that you made. You said you joined Max as a head of strategy. Tell us about that. What was going on in your head to say, hey, now I want to move away from pure finance to more of a strategy role. It was actually a function of what I was undergoing as I was thinking about the next five, 10 years of my career. I mean, uh, I reflected on my trajectory and I realized this is very homogeneous, right? It's, it's similar kind of companies and similar kind of roles, even though the industry was different. Learning was good. You know, you were getting rewarded along the way. The role was expanding, etc. But it's one of those things where, you know, the, the, the switch goes on and, you know, you get on the other side of 40 and you say, okay, now what can I do differently now? I can't suddenly completely change all things about me, but at least you can challenge yourself to take a role. Professional midlife crisis. A different role. And for me, the change of role and industry happened together. So that's what propelled me into the role. And the other thing was, Rohit, till such time I was with both Apple and Amex, the window and the opportunity to move abroad in another market or HQ role was always there. But around COVID, for some personal reasons, I kind of made up my mind that I want to be in India. And we'd, we'd seen that we were witnessing strong tailwinds for a while. And I was kind of, if I had to make a bet for the next decade, I thought it has to be in India. And that kind of triggered the move to say, okay, if in India, then I need to kind of diversify my profile because the one obvious thing that, that was kind of missing or something I hadn't done in my previous roles was investor relations and kind of having worked for a listed company, right? And then there is the whole bit of treasury, et cetera, that comes with it. So, so, invest, so, so at Max, I didn't get the exposure of both, you know, working for a listed company. And as a head of business strategy, there was a lot of, you know, a shareholder and board governance and investor relations interface. And I thought those were the things I'd like to experience. And, and so that's how kind of it enriched. So it was expanding your thinking and profile horizontally. Also kind of culturally, it was a very, very different and enriching experience to go from high cash rich, you know, unique product company to a company that has to go out there and fight and win in the marketplace every day. 
and do it very, very well. And so then from Max, you moved to Revolut to again set up the basically India operations and now hopefully soon launch the products in the market. That, that is correct. That is correct. So this is a very different experience of setting up a team right from the basics of the accounting systems. Of course, it being a multinational company and globally, Revolut's not a startup because they're valued at 30 billion. The revenues are in excess of a billion dollars and it's a reasonably profitable product line. So, so while globally it's an MNC, in India it's a startup and it competes with some of the very ferocious startups in the fintech industry, which is, you know, how the funding environment has been. And competition these days is driven by how much funding a sector is attracting, right? So so I thought even though the opportunity came a little premature and I would have liked to spend a little more time at uh, Max, you, you don't control some of these things and that's what kind of uh, propelled the move. So so the experience has been very, very different from right from setting up things and defining basic governances and you know kind of hiring the team and proofreading contracts for the first time and you know all of those things so so of course testing the product out and, and you know kind of doing surveys etc it's, it's it's very well rounded maybe do you want to take 30 seconds to introduce revolute to everyone of our listeners so revolute globally is a financial services company with the vision of having all things finance in one app you know, and the and the layering of the financial services is payments, both domestic and international, followed by credit products, followed by insurance. And, and globally, there is also trading products for U.S. equity, domestic and then crypto. And India, obviously, is the way vision also is to kind of introduce financial services products in a tiered structure. We don't plan to launch in the first six to eight months uh, in, in the next six to eight months, our first suite of products, followed by, you know, there is a three year plan and then, uh, you know. Uh, go about it super exciting again congratulations on the on the i would say rather bold move and uh, certainly looking forward to what revolute brings to india let's dive into the modern cfo a little bit i'm sure over your career you have worked with multiple ceos have seen multiple ceos across the globe tell us how maybe that role has changed over time and how do you define a modern cfo today that's a, that's an important question that you know I get asked, and and you know if you look at the frameworks, bro, typically there are those four pillars for a CFO role, which are the strategist, the catalyst, the steward, and the operator, right? And 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 I like to you know frameworks and, and terminology aside, I very simplistically take it as you know three pillars which the shareholder, which the CFO needs to address: the shareholder pillar, the customer pillar, and the employee pillar. You know, on the shareholder side, it is more strategy and catalyst and focused where, you know, you try to balance growth with profitability and, you know, kind of challenge the leadership team to kind of do the same things with greater efficiency. You be different and, you know, cut the clutter, etc. On the customer side, there is this whole product and services angle to say, what are you solving for and, and why are we doing this? You know, what's the problem statement and how do I get to addressing that problem statement through the action of mine, this action of mine, this product of mine, this service of mine. And then for me personally, the most important component from a CFO standpoint is the whole employee or the greater community bit. It starts with your team and then it goes on to expand to the greater organization that how are you improving their productivity and their efficiency and how you how are you facilitating what they're doing? Because let's face it, the leadership team doesn't do things they they get things done and they're supposed to be the 
the guideposts or, or kind of like the Google Maps to say, this is where you need to go and this is, I think you should take this route and, and by the way, you know, take this vehicle versus this vehicle. So the employee one, I, I continue to harp a lot about because uh, there is so much in the modern day organization, there is just so much clutter and so much work to be done. And I was just day before yesterday reading an economist article around saying that the best leaders are the ones who subtract work. And a lot of what was written in that article resonated with the way I like to go about my day because every time I take up a new role or every six months, eight months, I like to do a dipstick of getting a view of how my teams or the broader org are spending their time. What is the percentage of time they're spending in meetings? What are their deliverables? Are they doing recurring MISs? Are they attending meetings that have been, that have been on their calendar forever? Are they just doing stuff out of virtue of legacy? And how can I subtract that work? And that's the, in every new role I try to do this, when I go, I interact with the team and I tell them, okay, if I were to tell you, you have to cut down 20% of your work or you have only 20% less time to get the work done that you have. What are the things you will not do? What are the things you will drop? So call it waste elimination, call it subtraction, call it prioritizing. For me, the greatest job of a modern day CFO or CXO is to help the organization and people prioritize their jobs. Rather than doing 100% of the tasks with 75-80% accuracy, do 70% of the tasks, but do them 100% well, not with accuracy, because sometimes great can be the enemy of good. So depending on the criticality of the task, you take a call if 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 I can live with 90-95% accuracy or does it have to be 100 But it's very important to help your teams prioritize because I don't have eight hours in a day. If I have a six-member team, I have 48. And how am I utilizing those 48 hours? And at the end of the day, is the team feeling fulfilled? Or it's it's a whole lot of nothing at the end of the day for them to say, you know what, I did six hours of meetings today or I did 10 hours of work, but I don't have much to show up for. And for me, that is the reflection of how effective I am as a leader. So long answer to the short question of the modern day CFO role, but that to me is a very, very important part. Of course, this is the employee element, but once that takes care of your bread and butter, then is the jam to come up with ideas and innovations and smarter way of achieving the company objectives, the CEO priorities, et cetera, you know, addressing what's keeping them awake at night. And it's not a good thing for your CEO to be awake at night, but what are the problems they want you to solve? And I honestly think that's easier. Because that kind of at a leadership level, you can brainstorm, you can look at best practices, you can kind of make some bets and take some risks. The people element is the one which is harder and which needs to be consistently. In terms of the other part of your question on how the role has evolved over 15 years, for me, the role is always evolving, uh, Rohit, because every company at whether it was 10 years ago, 15 or now, has a very different needs and, and, and priorities at that point in time. So an accomplished being around company like an Apple or an Amex will expect very different things from their CFO versus a Series B, Series C funded startup of that matter, a domestic company, which is competing in a relatively cluttered space. You know, so company which is more competition has, has to have the CFO over index on the operator role and the firefighter role more to make sure the books compliances, all of that is tight and at the same time, there is enough fuel that is being provided to the sales force to kind of deliver on the numbers. It's a bit of an uphill climb. Whereas the companies with have the, which have the luxury of cash flow or been around for a while and, and, and are relatively stable have to go kind of progress on the, on, on the path of 
how do i continue to stay relevant and innovate so very different you know in 15 in the last 15 years i think the cfos are expected to collapse the boundaries and look beyond financial statements reporting data compliances to kind of become the the proxy cxos you know it's 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 kind of there is coo there is and, and the and the mirror reflection of that is the cfo for me on the on the numbers side you know because that's one way you quantify the actions but the only way you can quantify the actions is to know what the actions mean and what they're translating it very cool i i specifically love that uh, whole ideology around your workday is not just 8 hours but then consolidation of everyone kind of reporting under you however many number of hours that they have in their workday i think makes makes a ton of sense as you touched upon efficiency productivity of course technology plays a large role in terms of bringing in certain kind of productivity and efficiency in the workforce do you have specific thoughts on how do you like to play technology in your teams and you know we hear a lot of now chatter around ai and what it can do around workforce productivity how do you think about that going forward maybe in the next 5 years i i think it's it's still nascent and we all know what it can do to what extent we are leveraging it i think i don't have a straight answer people are leveraging it in very fragmented ways and and kind of getting excited about it right if you want to write a report or a content or you want your presentation to look smarter and crisper i mean all of that is very very basic i don't have convincing or my own view on ai it's very conflicted but on technology of course for financial folks you know the real pain points are around managing data around you know removing redundancies through automation and kind of you know just how to process the transaction volume efficiently you know which results in reducing turnaround times or simplifying things for them so so those are my top of mind ways in which kind of i'm always pushing the teams to figure out how tech can enable some of those things through either automated tools or solutions that are out there in the market and then also work with the ctos to kind of pick their brains on how how this can be facilitated the only challenge there is and now where the cfo lens or a head of finance or a controller lens when you interact with ctos is that they are kind of more focused on solving things higher up in the value chain right so in simple english if you think of the kind of projects the ctos work on without without fancy words it's the way i see it is there is run there is transform and there is grow and what i'm talking about is more around run because the pain points of my team lie in their day to day work they're not interested in what can happen in a year's time or two years they're what they're more interested in what are you going to do to make my life easier next week so that's more run but the ctos are focused on transform and grow so some of these things you know you got to kind of do in house self service some of these you need to push with with the tech teams to create a larger industry uh, enterprise wide impact so so that's how i i go about thinking about it uh, in terms of tech you know uh, one thing i wish for or my if you are to ask me like what is your magic wish would be a single source of truth one integrated platform or database where everybody can get their information needs and i know erps exist but that single source of truth becomes very challenging when you're looking at downstream metrics and data and information along different parts of the customer journey or value chain that's where the offline mises through emails or whatsapp groups or you know whatever else comes in and and doesn't tie to 
the company systems and a lot of people spend a lot of time reconciling that that falls in my category of waste we have to find a way to eliminate that effort very cool let's talk a little more about the people side of things you have formed a team at revolute and i'm sure continuously bolstering it and will continue to bolster it as the product comes to market for global companies so it's a two part question again maybe one if you have any tips around building a finance team from ground up and number two for global companies there may be sops technologies that are already set up that you anyways are going to grandfather from the global enterprise to the local offices do you hire or the technologies and the sops that are already established and people who can basically you know fit in that puzzle piece or do you hire the best minds and then say hey is this sop is this technology going to be relevant for india and does it work or i'm going to have you know unique customization or a difference in and sop or the technology that i'm going to use but i i have the best mind that i can get at my disposal at the moment it's not binary rohit it's the simple answer is it's a mix of both a respect for uh, sop or processes but the courage to question them when they're not relevant and again speaking of india driven by regulation driven by the nature of the market driven by the need for customization to appeal to the market there will always be some degree of uh, customization or changes that are required so if i had to pick one i'd pick the best brains and let them figure out what to do in reality it's it's a mix of both that's the second part of your question the first part in terms of building a team ground up i think it's not easy cuz it requires a long term thinking around how do i want my function or my team to look like 3 years or say 5 years from now you're hiring for at least 3 years these days if not 5 preferably 5 and and to visualize that when there are no clear answers around how the strategy will evolve based on the responses which will come you know there is a strategy it's it's not doesn't mean we don't have a strategy but you might have a strategy which will require two or three pivots in the indian context that's what i know whether it is on pricing or features or segments you go after or the timing of it and fintech particularly has this large regulator dependency right so so all of that needs to be factored in so with all those unknowns it's difficult to visualize and envisage what what my eventual team or function should look like and then you start filling in the pieces to say okay i need a controller i need a taxation person i need a fpna person i need a couple of folks who can kind of be project managers and cut across boundaries with great people skills and help bring it all together and stitch it together so yeah i mean you you put that on paper to say this is what i think and then you go and hire for the roles you define an org chart but more importantly the one principle i use is again at a softer level one is of course diversity right like how does this person bring in diversity to my team and diversity is not just experience right of or the nature of industry they come in diversity also in terms of personality and b is is this a person i will have fun working with mathematically speaking you take out personal time sleep time there are if you take the sleep and the personal maintenance hygiene time out it's about 8 9 hours a day you're left with what 15 and 
on average you spend 7 to 8 sometimes up to 10 hours at a workplace or in the hybrid environment on the screen now technically you're spending 55 60% maybe more of your awake time with work colleagues right and everything else aside you need to be having fun and feeling good about it so at a softer at a softer level at least when i personally interview people my lens the last 10 minutes of the conversation if if i feel that this conversation is getting somewhere is to get to know them personally understand what their motivations are outside of work how they unwind what kind of content or activities they enjoy to to just try to figure if this is someone that i i i would like to interact with more often they don't have to be like me it it doesn't have to be the same things but it's got to be something that that brings value to the team and their peers one more on the people side do you overemphasize on strengthening the strengths or do you go and say hey let's kind of fill in the hole of the weakness a little bit more which no, always the strengths always the strengths no all right no 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 two ways about it the return on effort is far greater that's the philosophy and in a team i have to look at my team strengths so i might not have uh, two of the people in my team might not be extremely articulate or might not have great people skills but but if they're filling in the gap for analytics and running a tight shop and hygiene and compliances then there would be somebody else who can fill in the gap for articulation so always the strengths that personally for my myself also i take that principle i mean cricketing parlance you 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 play at a perth or a johannesburg you're going to go in with four pacers right you 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 pay on some of the indian tracks you're going to bring in three spinners right so so you're not going to say that no 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 i will play my fast bowlers on a flat tracker right so so it's the same thing all right so let's move on to maybe a hypothetical let's assume i'm joining as the cfo and this is my day 1 at this company how would you advise me on my next sort of 100 days plan there's there's a laundry list so there are some basic ingredients that should always be there and then there's the 100 day plan but the basic ingredients kind of need to be over indexed i think when you join it starts with being curious about everything and asking questions which which kind of is the is the proxy for questioning the status quo i love doing that i'm that way a little anti establishment in my head to say and never accept an answer that this is how it is it's that stand on how it is you know been you need to understand the why of it that's it starts with that and then again invest in relationships and understanding people and and their problems pro- professional problems functional problems because end of the day you might have a point of view or you might have you might bring in something from your previous work experiences that can help them solve that so so the kind of people first lens and then try to complement it with your understanding knowledge analytics whatever you bring in there is the basic hygiene which i think the orientation from the company should take care of which is understanding the company the products services organization chart etc transparent conversations with your peer group and stakeholders in my case that would be ceo and you know the the leadership team to understand what are the problems they have what are the priorities they are chasing etc and kind of sync my action plan with that as a finance person specifically the the two things that that i tell finance folks repeatedly is to spend a lot of time on the field understanding the customer journeys understanding how the products or services are sold maybe listening to some customer calls to understand what kind of queries are coming back in experience the supply chain and this is very important because you know finance folks kind of tend to get lost in the day to day desk jobs and and the real insights and and understanding of the nuts and bolts of the business comes from being out there i mean 
and and this is a common thing i have experienced in my younger years and even now i learn more from two hours of a call listening session or a branch visit where i go talk to the the people on the ground or the sales folks or the servicing folks the learning there is far more enriched than you know the mis and the data that you look at consistently because that's more authentic and and that kind of gives you other ideas going back to the original theme of a new cfo the whole concept of subtraction i'm sorry i can't overemphasize that a lot i try to understand what can i take off people's tables which they consider unproductive and which i also think is unproductive that's one way of building credibility that's one way of driving prioritization and people will love you for it and i want to bring in peter drucker quote here peter drucker's one of his most famous quotes are there is surely nothing quite so useless as doing with great efficiency something that should not be done at all that is something i live by that's one of my favorite quotes that there's no point going down a path that is not worth doing at all he articulated it really well so kind of bring that in my philosophy and then of course at a more organizational kpi level you got to identify two three goals and wins for yourself which are personal could be on the business side number side product operations processes you know again crick- cricketing parlance kind of get some runs on the board in the first quarter kind of to build credibility and respect for yourself how important for you to get that early win and 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 how should people think about that is it like you know solve for the low hanging fruit is it maybe do something a little more on the pricing what is it that people look for to get that early win the win doesn't have to be for me rohit the win needs to be for either a business partner stakeholder or the team it's like how do you make yourself useful because believe it or not a, a lot of leadership roles are aggregation roles right i am not carrying my own day to day deliverable i might carry my own big deliverable of preparing a licensing app okay raising funds identify an mna target reengineer the treasury or the debt uh, costs etc so those are larger deliverables and not all of th- those will typically not happen in a quarter but but the way i visualize this at a grassroots level is there's a warm body there's a new person coming in who's considered to be relatively senior rather than being a hindrance to other people's work where you ask a lot of questions and then create work for them and they feel oh my god i already had to do 10 things ab iska bhi karna padega ab isne bhi mang liya it's you understand that how can i make your life easier how can i help you accomplish what you're doing the underlying assumption being what you're doing is critical to the company right otherwise you shouldn't be doing it again subtraction you know waste elimination so so that's the lens you try to wear i mean obviously nobody is born that that way i'm not perfect i'm on that path but once you start doing that kind of you'll start meeting and experiencing a lot of yeses and a lot of sponsorship from 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 ground up or your peer group as opposed to you know opposition thinking yaar ab ye finance wala aa gaya you know he's going to ask me for new data new information he's going to question what i'm doing all of that right so yeah that's that Michael let's change gears a little bit when we were talking earlier you said you do angel investing as well we are living in a pretty interesting time frame from a funding perspective would love to get your views on that broadly and when you do angel investing maybe some of the traits that you look for in companies while investing what makes a good investment for you so rohit my most of my angel investing portfolio is the high risk capital which is early seed or you know first angel round you know i wouldn't go in through 
typically if 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 it's more than 70 80 mil in valuation i prefer not to go in so so at that stage it's more about as cliche as it may sound about the founder than the business in some ways when you're going after small companies it's more of an idea and a concept and and it's all about execution right that's what we learn through through successful companies i i like to look for specific traits and qualities in founders of course there needs to be a business model proven to some extent with some unit economics and some cash flows i mean i would not invest in a paper company but but speaking of traits on the founders there are cues that i pick up i i like to hear about more more thoughts around what they want to do in the next one or two years that's one i don't want to be here hearing five years unicorn six years ipo that's a red flag for me that's one i like to see points of failures in 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 the founder's journey and 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 when you're looking for companies that small you have the luxury of spending some in person time with the founders and i think 80% of the companies i've invested in i have personally met the founder and spent like time with them maybe two meetings so points of failures tell tells me there is grit and it tells me this person will not give up early right so do whatever it takes kind of a thing and then i also try to look for the understanding their understanding of a going concern running business versus a company valued at x i pick on the cues of what their language is is their language around revenues is their language around margins is their language around bootstrapping around building a sustainable business or is their language around we are going to deploy this money in this you 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 know the spiel right customer acquisition cash burn runway for 18 months next round of funding go to 18 cities uh, i'm sorry i'm using a, a sarcastic tone but that that again is a red flag for me so those are some of the filters i personally like to apply i'm relatively industry agnostic it doesn't have to be a tech business and and then again depending on what i think about the founder kind of go ahead with it and any comments on the current funding environment where where do you see maybe silver linings or major major red flags i think we've had a muted year in terms of the funding environment but then for investors it's kind of a blessing right for investors like me who are not cutting very big checks right you are able to kind of get better valuations right and and again if if you're taking a slightly longish term view of the business and your focus is let this person become a bit positive or generate some favorable cash flows at the back of favorable unit economics and not just cash burn then i think it's a great time to be up there there is there is i think immense opportunity and uh, i i i am obviously more of a fan of d2 c businesses but the challenge is they consume massive amounts of capital i i continue to be positive or what the same stock market market parlance uh, cautiously optimistic on the startup uh. also if you see globally right it's it's also so many funds whether temasek or or even in japan they, they're beginning to commit capitals over the next 2 3 years to india now that is going to translate into both employment and business opportunities and bring in some more risk capital to kind of do new things be creative innovative so so i, I i'm i'm quite uh, convinced and and what will happen over the what's happened in the last 2 3 years will bring some semblance into the valuations as well will hopefully bring in a culture of all that i'm talking about 
because over time the VC community and the private equity folks have they were always very smart have become even smarter to kind of look at the right things and and maybe they looked at the right things but the challenge was on corporate governance and compliances so i think they will start coming coming in early on you know i don't want to name the companies but whether in the fintech or the edtech space some of the poster boys aren't getting great media for the commitments they've made and the lack of compliances etc so all of that is a is a good correcting mechanism for the industry to continue to prosper i mean uh, face it or not 70% of the opportunities leadership mid level you know entry level blue collar jobs have been in the startup ecosystem so we need to continue to create an environment to support that and let it prosper makes ton of sense let's maybe change gears a little bit how would you define successful career for yourself it's again it's not a point in time uh, rohit it's i think it's two things top of my mind as a as i think hard one is am i pushing the boundaries and doing justice to my potential so that's one there is a book by david goggins called can't hurt me in which he talks about mental toughness and how you can push your physical boundaries to achieve what is the unthinkable he's done some great things in life but that's more on the athletics the physical fitness bit that can translate into careers as well if you have the mental toughness and willing to put in the effort whatever is required and so so one is that human potential is infinite but am i even getting close to pushing myself enough that for me is the first parameter of success and for me it's a very big one because i'm i'm fundamentally at my very goal very 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 comfort loving so so that's one the second is am i getting enough enough diversity into my experiences so am i doing the same work 10 years over or am i doing three different four different things you know over the last 10 years and and how am i enriching my perspectives how am i exposing myself to a different set of folks in you know individuals situations companies seminars geographies etc so so for me is very important to kind of have a change of scenery it hasn't happened locationally for me but i have been fortunate enough to have traveled by virtue of both work and uh, whenever you get the time personally so kind of try to bring in those elements so yeah diversity and enrichment of experiences and pushing your potential is success for me the third and the most important thing for success for me is this whole concept of the freedom of time and being able to do what i want and i think uh, it gets talked about in the book uh, the psychology of money by morgan housel but he he says that you know people define success or happiness as the ability to do what they want when they want and for howsoever long as they want so i'm not there yet but at least i try to design my routine and time in a way that i have the freedom to do that so if in if i get a call on a tuesday from a friend who's visiting from mumbai or bangalore on a wednesday or a thursday and wants to do a two hour lunch with me i carve out the time because if i don't carve out the time i will get the feeling that i'm not in control of my time and i'm not successful because i can't prioritize meeting a friend over something else the same applies to you know work life integration around you know and technology makes it easier that you know i i can choose to do this on a saturday and for me this is not work this is this is fun so this is another experience right enriching of experiences so so yeah i think you get the drift
freedom of time diversity of experience exploiting my potential those three makes sense freedom of time is the greatest wealth very cool tell us how do you keep your calm especially in the shit hits the fan moments you're assuming i keep my calm but <laughs> but uh, i you know my first reaction to shit at the fan or crisis is do nothing that's my first impulse let's process this let's think about it i might react after that not in a pleasant way but the first impulse is okay let's let's do nothing and let's kind of slow down to speed up kind of a thing right and some people do it you know some people naturally get to that zen state by practicing meditation or you know focus time etc i don't do all of that but my lens is more less left brain to say that how bad can it be that's one and will it may matter in two days two weeks two years right because hindsight gives us the benefit to say your reactions to so called crises are always over amplified and hey it wasn't really that bad i mean it's it's unless it is matter of life and death unless it is a medical exigency i don't think i panic the reaction is we'll get by the reaction is you know nobody's losing the farm or the bank on this so it's it's all in a day's work kind of a thing right doing nothing honestly helps you know at least it helps you deal with it better it doesn't make the problem go away again cricketing thing right when the opposition's taking you to the cleaners scoring at 9 and over the bowling side will invariably slow you down by taking a break change a gloves getting a drink like break the momentum right so so that gives you the time to think how bad can this be right yeah seems like you're a big five star fan <laughs> <laughs> all right Last question before we run into the lightning round. Uh, any advice for emerging professionals who want to be leaders? It goes to I think something I said about the first 100 days or 90 days when we spoke about it. I think get out there and build perspective, right? You will have a core set of responsibilities. You will have a core job definition. There is a 95% chance you will end up doing that well because there's a filtration process when you get hired. There's tools and resources, there is guidance of course. there are challenges at work too sometimes because of culture etc but in by and large people get by but but that to me is bread and butter the real jam or the real goodies come when you step outside of that role build a perspective around what your peer is doing product person kind of get to know more about marketing if you're an accounting person try to get a little more about corporate finance if you're a sales person try to get a little more about business development and just just saying the examples that come to my mind but continue to step outside of your roles and responsibilities to expand your sphere of learning and influence because you use the word emerging leaders right and leadership or, or, or emerging professionals for me you begin to be perceived as a leader you know one one benchmark i take is irrespective of the number of people who report to you what your designation is the one way to test out if you're doing well professionally and if you're on the path of becoming a leader is how many people come to you for advice on a day to day basis how many meetings are you being made of part of or how many brainstorms are you being made a part of where there isn't a direct deliverable or ask from you so kind of is your opinion thoughts information valued are they being sought and they will only be sought outside of your work when you build that perspective and it reflects in your conduct and your interaction so one is your job description but have that curiosity lens of acha what does this person do yaar this day seems to be expense interesting you know 
he's been traveling, he attended this webinar, he attended this seminar, he went to so-and-so place. Let me figure out what he did. Let me figure out what his learnings were. But yeah, you get the drift. Very cool. Well, that brings us to our lightning round. Should be pretty fun, pretty simple. Oh, I'll yeah. ask you a question and all I need are immediate responses. Yeah. I've been no, nothing nothing controversial. Point. I've been looking forward to this ever since the time you told me we're going to be talking about this. So, so yeah, looking forward. All right. Let's warm you up a little bit, maybe. Sweet or savory? Savory. Books or podcasts? Books. Thinker or doer? Thinker. Apple or Android? <laughs> Come on, really? <laughs> Apple. <laughs> LinkedIn or Twitter? LinkedIn. Scotch or whiskey? Single malt, I guess. That's what the choice was, right? Yeah, All right. Single malt. Money or happiness? Both. Introvert or extrovert? I, I think I'm an introvert, but I'm told I'm an extrovert, so I don't know how to answer that. Okay. Mountains or beaches? Beaches. Growth or profitability? Profitability. What is your one hidden talent? I have two, actually. I can mimic people really well. And I tend to remember movie and TV show scripts of things I like. All right. What's the favorite mimic? I can't do a mimic here, but it's more with people, right? It's not uh, celebrities. So so I'm, I'm good at picking up idiosyncrasies around people around me so so i don't know if i can do a mimic here it's not celebrities or anybody got it maybe you can you can switch roles with me on one of those podcasts sometime (laughs) ideal place to retire it's a tough one i've never thought of that but uh, has to be close to a water body i don't have a place in mind but close to a water body with great eating places that kind of checks the box Okay. We're getting close to Goa now, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, Goa seems to have a lot of uh, new eateries that are coming yeah, up. Oh yeah, the food scene has like exploded in the last four or five years. Okay. Number one on your bucket list right now. Watch a Coldplay concert. Cool. Who is your role model on the personal side or professional side? There isn't one, Rohit. Uh, professionally, there, there is a leader of mine who had great influence in me, still very good friends you know, worked with him through my 30s and shaped up a lot of my thinking. But but it's it's never one person, right? Like role model, my, my mother's had a very, very, very influential role to play in the way I shaped up. So so it's not one person, but I, I, I kind of look at traits and kind of emulate them more than uh, the person, right? Because I have to be my own person, but it's easier to emulate thinking and traits than personalities. So so no, there, there isn't a role model. I mean, uh, in the celebrity world, I absolutely admire Roger Federer for the person that he is. So if you were to ask me a role model, and you know, is I don't think there is a greater intersection of success and humility than than Roger Federer. So yeah, that's 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 one role model. I, I read extensively, so I think uh, Nelson Mandela's thinking and conduct and life. I, I speak very highly of I role model or not, I don't know. But now that you ask me the question, these are the two, three celebrity names that come to my mind. But in the personal space, there's so much to learn from everybody, right? Right from the help or or the people around you to, to you know, working with you. You know, I might pick up a couple of things from this podcast or earlier chats and kind of take them away. All right. Uh, 
as you mentioned, Roger, I have to ask uh, forehand or a cricketing square cut? Forehand. Forehand. <laughs> okay. But, but if you would have said forehand or a straight bat, straight drive, then I don't know what I would have said. <laughs> all right. All right. Penultimate one. One thing that can make you 10x more productive. Being less lazy, I guess. Um, I'm, th- th- there's always a choice between comfort and, and, you know, not, not, you know, stepping out of your comfort zone. So, yeah, I, I think a more articulate answer would be getting started, right? Like there's always something as simple as reading a book. It's about just picking up and opening the book. The reading bit is easy and fun. There's going to the gym, working out, playing a sport, the deliverable that's been sitting on your desk, but you know, it's it's not as important and it's not even urgent, but it needs to be done. Getting started is is always the challenge, right? So if I can just find a way to get started sooner or more often, then it could make me a lot more productive because the doing and, and, and the experience then becomes easier. I totally resonate with that. The last one, describe yourself in three words. I'm curious, I'm fun, and uh, kind. I don't know if my friends watch or my wife watches this, they will agree with this. This is my all right this <laughs> i guess this this is uh this has been this has been pretty pretty fun an amazing show arjun thanks a lot for taking the time and we'll hope to see you again soon no absolutely thank you so much for reaching out uh, i've enjoyed doing this and good luck thank you thank you that brings us to the end of this episode we hope you'll find at least one nugget that is beneficial to you As always, thanks for listening to Strategy of Finance. If you enjoy our show, please rate and review us on Apple or Google Podcasts. Your comments will make us better. And be sure to tune in next week for another engaging conversation. Until then, this is Rohit Agarwal, and remember to learn, grow, and inspire.